Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. My name is Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. How's it going, buddy? Hey, buddy. Doing good, man. How are you today? Oh, man, I can't complain. I've still been uh, still been working out the back of the patio most of the week, so my back's not feeling the greatest, but it's, it is what it is at this point. Got to get it done. Mr. Bob Vila over here, fans, <laughs> uh, he is in putting some additional patio areas, and now you're going with a pergola? Is that what you said in the text earlier? Yes, yes. So I, got a, I got a pergola I put in over the fire pit. I got um, covering over where I've got all my my smokers and grills and stuff. And then we've got uh, another, another area that I'm digging out and putting some, uh, some, some pea pebble down and uh, got a uh, little cantilever umbrella we got going over that section. Um, so it's going to be going to be pretty hooked up area back there, trying to do more outdoor entertaining and just in general, staying outside more. So taking advantage of this time that I've got here where I can roll right from, from work into doing yard work, which I normally I've got about a 45 minute to an hour uh, excursion from, from work to home. So just trying to take advantage of that time, man. How's things going your way? I'm good. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking potentially in July when it gets even deader than right now, maybe Brian's backyard secrets to doing it yourself. Uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> doing well, man. Um, as you, as I told you a couple of weeks ago, I can't remember if I mentioned it on the pod, but we got a new fence installed in the backyard, which has been great for the dog, been great for the boys. There you go. Um, slowly rearranging, and um, I don't know. You posted some stuff on Facebook with your patio, didn't you? A couple things, yeah. A couple yeah, things yeah. out there, yeah. Huh. So my wife, a couple of days ago. Uh, kind of says, I wonder if we can like dig out a little place around here and put some stones maybe around. Asked our neighbor who's a landscape designer and like had him look at it. I'm like, wait a second. I'm starting to put two and two together. Did Brian's post come across her? Like, huh, Brian's doing it. Could Curtis do this? I uh, know, but we're, we're, we're doing great, man. Just uh, grilled some burgers tonight. Tried to see the flyover, but it was a little too far uh, south uh, west for us. We, we heard it like a second and my wife's like that's it i think and we didn't see it but saw some videos some folks of uh in the neighborhood went down to saint mary's hospital and saw it that was pretty cool okay yeah my uh my father-in-law had uh texted me about it earlier today he's like yeah you gotta check this out i was like i'm gonna try to but it just i don't think it you know being over here east side of richmond it just it wasn't quite uh quite enough for us but next time (laughs) next time yeah (laughs) <laughs> Next time when things aren't as crazy, we can, you know, get in the car and drive somewhere and see it. Uh, pretty cool event. Again, seeing the video was pretty cool, too, man. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, we got a few things we're going to go over today, um, you know, but we, we got to start, unfortunately, with the bad news. Um, you know, it happened about, I guess it was a week ago now, maybe a little less than a week ago. Just under a week ago, yeah. We had uh, Demetrius Davis decommits from Virginia Tech. Uh, you know, number one dual threat in the country, our highest rated recruit at the point in time, legitimate stud. The video shows it, um, you know, all his highlights. And, uh, you know, the tea leaves kind of were there a little bit beforehand with the removal of the stuff on uh, his Twitter account, which, you know, 
some people were like screaming alarm bells like that. And some people like me and you were kind of more like a 17 year old kid. I yeah. Mean, 17. There were no explanation for, um, but you know, it, it definitely hurts. Now he, you know, Brian, you, you read it as, as I did. He did say, you know, he, he still plans on, you know, taking his official at the Penn state game. Um, likely coming down maybe even a few times more on unofficial visits. So we're not out of the running, but anytime there's a decommit like this, it just, it hurts your soul because you see what he does, you know what we do. And it's just like, it's like, it's the glove. It's like, there would be no sort of learning curve. Yeah. And that's the big thing. I think he could really thrive under what uh, Fuente and Cornelson are trying to do with the offense. Um, so it hurts from that perspective. Um, the bigger perspective to me is that it hurts us perception wise at a point in time where we're trying to shape per- per- perception in a more positive light. And it, it deals us another, another one of those blows to, uh, you know, credibility from a recruiting perspective and, and things like that. So I think in that perspective, it hurts us more. I mean, I think on the field, I mean, he might've ended up after, after a red shirt year taking over the starting role, but in terms of us having quarterbacks ready to play, I mean, we're, we're kind of set through 23 yep. unless, unless he was going to be stepping up um, sooner. So, it, you know, there's not a immediate, um, void uh, created by his decommitment but at the same time you wanted someone of that caliber in the boat signed and 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 ready to sit behind whoever it is for however long um until he's ready to go so that hurts and like i said the the biggest place where it hurts it, it hurts with those you know the national columns the regional columns yep hurts with word of mouth with other recruits or with other pipelines who could be developing and it especially hurts, you know, in Texas where we where we've been trying to build a pipeline, and some of that was, you know, tied I think to Didi in in, in some ways and, and and more or less in other ways. But um, yeah. you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see if if he does end up taking the official uh, with Penn State, depending on obviously how twenty twenty looks as a season. We're having um, a season. We're, we're having a season. Just. Positive thoughts on that. Yes, Positive yes. Thoughts. I'm just, I'm just trying to trying to qualify here, so <laughs> we, we don't look uh, have egg on our face later. But wow. um, you know, yeah. if he does take that official, I feel a little bit better about it. I mean, I feel like as of right now, probably Auburn has the upper hand um, yep. in terms of of potentially landing him. I think we're kind of number two, definitely want to get him on campus in order to feel better about that. And then I think Miami is going to be a, one of the teams that's going to make a push there as well. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say just a, just a few things. First of all, we, there's got to be some stuff going on behind the scenes in his life because if you see just a few weeks before all this went down, I mean, this was a gung-ho kid. Guys getting offers, he was tweeting at them. You you know, we put highlight package videos up, you know, of Lane. He was tweeting and retweeting and saying things. Um, he was encouraging players to commit, join it. And then all of a sudden, the light happens. Light switch. Boom. And he decommits. We can only speculate what's going on. He is 17. And you can imagine a player of his caliber, how much pressure there is. Um, not only, you know, other schools knocking down your door, um, but family, friends, everything. 
And yeah. um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back. I, I don't know if you ever talked with um, our buddy Hambone about Contavia Street. Contavia. I, I mean, I, I've talked. I mean, I, other than uh, how much of a complete uh, study was in high school, I didn't hear a whole lot of talk about him. But I mean, well, I, I'm well, sure you know more, know more about his commitment in, in terms well, 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 of what happened with NC State and everything. Well, yeah, but Robbie shared a little something with me, and it was legitimately. I mean, Contavious was a top 100 player. Contavious is kind of where Demetrius was as defensive ends. He was one of the best offers all over the country. And he said legitimately he would wake up at 6.30 and his phone would not stop all day. Text, 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 messages, message. And you just kind of sit there and think, this kid's 17. He's going to high school. In Didi's case, they're having to sit at home all day. At least you go to high school, you can just say, Mom, I'll be back in six hours for it. Don't yeah, you, you get a reprieve from exactly the constant bombardment of information and people texting exactly. you. Yeah, I, I can't imagine the the pressure that's on you know, oh, a lot yeah. of these kids. I mean, obviously, um, I, I've never experienced anything like that personally in terms of you know programs of that caliber. No. You know, trying to get me in the door or anything like that. So I can't imagine what what that's like. And obviously, you know, there's other pressures that come along with that um, of the expectations of being a high caliber football player. Um, you know, there's, there's other things that come along with that as well. So how yeah. are you feeling about, you know, what the staff could have done, could not have done in terms of staving some of this off? Um, I, I, I don't think we know. I mean, you know, A, it's the dead period. So it's only so much they can do. Um, B, people are kind of asking, you know, were they completely dependent on him and putting all the pressure on him? We don't know. I mean, we yeah. can assume, like, with most recruits, you ask them, hey, you know, we'd love for you to be out there encouraging guys to come here. So we don't know how much pressure was put on him by the staff. Yeah. Um, and, again, that's behind closed doors, you know, things we're not privy to. And it's it's one of those things where you can say, well, we shouldn't let these guys go out and recruit. Like, Really? Anybody that says that on Twitter or just trying to be, you know, uh, I'm going to be the exact opposite. Like, yeah. No, if a kid commits, you're saying you want to go to the university. Yeah, we want you out there, you know, putting our name out, putting positive comments behind it. I mean, I have a question. If, if somebody commits tomorrow and they go radio silent about Virginia Tech for a month, how would you feel at the beginning of July, June about their commitment? Would it be like, Oh yeah, they're all in. Or is it like uh, he's not tweeting at coaches? He's not doing anything from the football or Bo Davidson or any of our, you know, yeah. any of our other like any of the non-football, non-tech related accounts, but talk about tech football. Well, yeah, we're, like, we're in a situation now where if you're not at least if you go complete radio silence in this information age, I mean, you're just you don't, people don't know what to think anymore, um, exactly. especially from a fan base perspective or uh, obviously the coaches probably are going to have more uh, day-to-day and week-to-week contact with these guys via text or email or whatever it may be. Yeah. But from a fan perspective, if, if you don't see it out in the Twitter sphere, you all of a sudden get cold Nervous. feet and, and like, uh, there's problems. But I mean, from a staff perspective, I think we could have done better here. Um the also, biggest, the biggest one. On so my my biggest one is the the problems we've had with momentum in terms of our recruiting, and it started with DD verbally committing, and then it being three and a half months before we get anybody else in the boat. That's pretty big. 
Um, that that's a big problem because you've got a recruit of that caliber and then you're not seeing some sort of, you didn't see the coattails that you would normally yeah. expect um, from that. And, 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 and I think the, the staff didn't do a great job of capitalizing on that. I think some of that had to do with the staff turnover true happening right after that verbal commitment. So there was some flux in terms of, what the staff was going to look like, especially when we were when we were primarily recruiting uh, defensive players. I think with this cycle, defense is going to be defensive wide receiver going to be probably the two biggest yeah. um, things that we're looking at for this twenty one cycle. Hold on a second, though. I'm going to make yeah. a point. I'm going to be contrarian <laughs> to you. He committed in December. At that point in time, we were we we did not have Alec Bryant. We did not have Robert Wooten. And over the next course of the next six weeks is we got them on. And, and and we can say, you know, it sucks. We didn't get anybody from 2021. But at that point in time, those two guys were the biggest recruits we had on the board to go get. And, and people can say well, it was three and a half months. And it's like, yeah, but what happens if we don't land Alec Bryant? We don't land Robert Wooten. That's true. Do you, do you take your focus off those two guys who – you're already in love with them because yeah. from a defensive, you already look at their body types and say, these guys can come in and play. And that's awesome. That's what yeah, we need on the I mean, line. Brian, I think, is a year one contributor. Wooten, I mean, he's got potential to be that if he comes in and has enough time in camp. Obviously, that's in flux now as well. But if he has enough time in camp to show what he's capable of, I think that's another spot too. Um, but I, like I said, I still look at the momentum. I, another part of the momentum that we're talking about is after we had that good run in the back half of March, Yeah, not capitalizing in April um, during a dead period where these players are sitting at home and doing nothing. Um, you know, once you get some radio silence out there and you, okay, so you've got a, a three and a half month run of, not much in terms of 2021 commitments. Yeah. And then you've got bam, 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 three right back to back. And then all of a sudden radio silence. Now all of a sudden you've got UNC exploding on the scene. You've got Tennessee exploding on the scene. You've got yeah. UVA doing what they do um, in terms of volume that they've gotten in the last month, month and a half. Yeah. And you see us kind of you know hit a little bit of a roadblock there. Yep. So I I think that probably played some of the role as well. I mean, I don't I don't know to what degree this is all playing a role, but I definitely think it played something of a role because you know, he he keeps seeing early on he was like, All right, yeah, I'm ready to see you guys commit to Virginia Tech and he, and it, it seemed like he just, you know, every time he said it it seemed like just a little bit less and a little bit less as as uh April went on and on and all of a sudden you get radio silence those last two weeks. Yeah. Um, let me ask this. Do you think we're going to see any more collateral damage from this? So I think the, I think the only big name could potentially be Latrell Neville um, backing off his commitment. Um, I th- you know, just because of how closely aligned he was with playing with DD in terms of his early commitment um, and, and the fact that he hadn't been on campus yet. So I think that's going to play a role as well. Um, I think if he was, if he was a guy we'd already gotten on campus, I'd feel a little bit more solid about it. But yeah. um, since he hasn't been on campus, it's hard to tell what those first official visits he takes after the dead periods over are going to look like and how much that's going to impact him. I think we did a good thing in terms of uh, getting out there and offering 
uh, Tyrell Raby, uh, yep. which is his cousin. Um, I think that's a good thing because that shows that we're, you know, we're, we're making those moves um, in somebody that's also in his inner circle. So yep. that's important. Um, Big time. But the question is, is that, you know, where does DD end up going and wherever he goes is, does Latrell Neville have a offer that's committable from that university? And if he does, that puts us in a lot worse position. So it's going to be really strong to go after Tyler. I mean, he's the number one corner in Louisiana. He's fitting that new mold, 6'2", I think 175, 180. Um, and he is that guy who's a high three who's on the borderline of a four. Like, yeah. I think most people are feeling that if 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 we get some camps this summer or we could see him some tape in the fall, he's going to be a four-star before signing day. Um, I think that was a very smart move. Um so, it, it, again, it's, it's getting connections with Neville where it's like, well, I've already got my offer here. Now Tyler can play here. And now if Didi goes elsewhere, well, now he's at a conundrum, right? What if Didi gets somewhere and they offer Neville, but they don't offer Tyler? Yeah. So, it's one of those things where with him it could be that torn thing. And does maybe, maybe Neville comes back and says, Didi, you know you love the place. You've been there. You were all about it. Some change. I don't know what. Throw your hands up. But that's my cousin. That's blood. Yeah. They and I mean, you know, some, some of this could be just the fact that, you know, he committed early and yep. he was super early. He was, you know, in the boat, but he's trying to get people to sign on and he sees everybody else um, kind of getting all this, you know, star treatment. And I mean, once you're in the boat, yes, you still get that, you get that love. But I think, you know, you don't have, um, yeah you don't have multiple fan bases fawning over you like you like you do when you're still uh still uncommitted there so that yeah. have been something to it obviously these are 17 18 year olds it's really hard to to say what's going through their mind in terms of um 100 making those choices but i mean this is virginia tech recruiting this is nothing new <laughs> It, it's it's not, and I mean, you know, me and you were kind of talking about some things we could talk about. I mean, uh, this isn't like something that where we were a top ten juggernaut for ten years in recruiting, and then it fell off. I mean, you know, I, I went back and looked up the last really since two thousand four, since we joined the ACC cycles. I mean, you ready for the numbers? I mean, throw them down at me, buddy. So starting in 2004 recruiting class and going down, 04, 34, 05, 20, 06, 31, 07, 26, 08, 18, 09, 25, 2010, 28, 2011, 35, 2012, 21, 2013, 21, 2014, 28, 2015, 29, the transition year, 16, 42, 17, 26, 18, 24, 19, 26, and 2020, the miserable 74. Um, Brian, did we crack the top 15 in the last – since we've joined the ACC? We have not. Um, now, that doesn't correlate with what most people see. And, again, it's it might – I think it really might be just a problem with, the, with tech in general because during those years, man – Finished 2005 ending 10th, 06 7th, 07 19. Oh, excuse me. So 04 we ended 10th, 06 7th, or 05 7, 06 19, 07 9, 08 15, and then like 10 16. 
you see those numbers, you would think, why aren't they getting top 15 or top uh, or in the teens consistently? Um, and it's one of those things that I know a lot of people have always said, well, it's, it's our brand We're we're blue collar. We find the diamonds in the rough. Um, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, we're a top 10 crew, top 10 team consistently in the two thousands. And our average was 23 in recruiting. Yeah. You know, and I mean, it's if, a if you go back to 95, we're talking about recruiting classes averaging probably right around 30 yeah. on the whole, maybe 32. So somewhere between 30 and 35 is our, is our average uh, recruiting class in the so-called glory, glory days of the program. And they were. I mean, I, I, I mean, I'll argue anybody that sort of run where we were significantly finishing in the top 20 every single year in the top 10 multiple times, in the top five a couple times. And most of the time what you see is there's bumps. You consistently get that good, you know, well, they're going to be able to walk in and that, you know, that mid-four star who's in, you know, in South Carolina, well, at that point in time, Clemson won't do that good. South Carolina was nothing to brag about. Georgia's okay. Tennessee's pretty good. But they can walk in, they can get him. Didn't get him. Like, why not? So it's again, I, and I'll say the word again. It's a stigma with the program of the way we recruit. Um, can it change? Yes, uh, but right now it's not. And you know, it, it seems like it's continually lingering, even after a, a again after a younger head coach. And I know his ties aren't regionally there, but a younger head coach, a younger staff. Um, you know, what what, what does Tech need to do? Do you, do you think it's a branding or messaging problem, or do you think it's just the attractability of playing at Virginia Tech isn't isn't glamorous? Well, here's the thing. I think it's the second part. I don't think it's a branding, because by all means, if it was a true branding issue, I think we would have seen those first few years under Fuente, they wouldn't have been as good. They would have been more in the – 40 to 50 range where they were not, they were about where Frank was. I mean, honestly, if you say, well, he doesn't know how to recruit. And it's like, uh, the numbers don't bear the difference there, guys. You're, you're, you're telling yourself a lie about the former staff and the, uh, in the former way things were done. Um, so I don't, I think it's just the brand. I think we are in Blacksburg, Virginia, which is to me, the perfect college town, Small, quiet, great place to get your education. Everything's connected. But that doesn't float the boat for every recruit. That would be my thought. Okay. So, you know, let's let's take a look at that a little bit further. So let's let's I, I, I thought about this and I'm gonna highlight some inherent disadvantages that Virginia Tech has relative to the competition in the ACC. Number one. Our in-state rival is centrally located, and we are not. That is 100% true. They are within an hour of Richmond. They are within two hours of Nova, two and a half, uh, not three and a half of the beach. Yeah. Um, we are not situated in a small or large city like the majority of ACC and Power 5 East Coast schools. You're right. We are, the, I think, the smallest city. I mean, we're one of the smaller camps because it's, what, 35,000 Blacksburg population? Yep. You compare that to somewhere like Tuscaloosa. Tuscaloosa is 110,000 people. It's triple the size. Yeah, and and with those things come other amenities that are 
popular amongst uh, college going age uh, kids. Yep. Um, I mean, say what you want about the small town atmosphere, but cities offer things for college students to do that small towns can't do and can't match. Um, So three, we do not. And even once everything that is currently being built um, is finished and will not have facilities relative to the blue bloods that we want to catch. And most of them, we, we're not even matching some of the second tier schools. We generally think that we're better than uh, the Beamer barn is about the only thing that we got ahead of those second tier programs yep. on, but we were still several years behind blue bloods, even on that. Yep. But what's going up now is like two or three years behind most of these, uh, you know, second tier programs. They've had something like that, or at least partially like that. Very that's true. been on campus for two or three years now. Absolutely. And all the blue blood programs have had them for several years, and Florida's taking it a step further with what they're building right now. Um, they're 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 essentially building an all inclusive luxury resort for eighteen <laughs> year old kids. Yep. And good for them. The, the The final thing is that our expectations that holds us back. We expect to compete on the field like a top fifteen program. We expect to recruit like a top 25 program. So we're already, our expectations are higher than what, what we can theoretically recruit. But we fund the program like a top 50 program. I, I can't argue with those points. It's absolutely true. Um, and, you know, I'm going to say this, and, and some people might say it's wrong. When Justin Fuente was hired, I think Whit Bobcock understood this. I think Whit Babcock knew he needed a more coach than recruiter. Because even if you took the best recruiters in the country, line them up, I think it would be hard for even them above table, above table, say that again, above table, to get kids to come. Um, No Hugh Freeze situation here. No Hugh Freeze situation. Yeah, but do you want that as a fan? You don't. You don't. Exactly what I'm saying. You don't. You don't want that guy. uh, Yeah, you don't want that scum running a program like that. But so I think what maybe fans have got to realize is he didn't hire the recruiter. He hired a guy that knew how to coach football. And people can jump up and down and say, "Well, he just did it at Memphis." Memphis had been good two times in the entire lifeblood of that program. One was D'Angelo Williams in the early 2000s, and one was like in the 1960s. And he literally coached that group of players up. Hey, guess what they did to Hugh Freeze's paid-off team? Remember that? <laughs> yep. He beat them. Yep. Um, so, you know, uh, maybe that's what we need to look at, that we always will need maybe not the prettiest recruiters, but we need guys who can coach. Now, you know, it's kind of argued last year, and, you know, numerous times, and we said it again. Think about if they put Hendon Hooker in game one, how well that our team was coached. Yeah. He was yeah. on the field. We, we we dominated good teams at times. And teams that were at our level, um, you know, we played with. Yeah. So I think we got to start looking through a different lens. Do I want top 15 recruits yet? Because I think me and you have said it probably since we were in our 20s. If Virginia Tech ever gets a top 10 class, the world's not going to know what to do because there's going to be talent with guys who know how to coach and know how to scheme. Hell, if we could just stack three top 15 classes. 20, 20. I ain't even saying 15, <laughs> top 20. 
go three top 20 classes. Oh, man. So, um, yeah, man. But it's like, I, I'll, I'll give, uh, I'll give Don V a shout out here. He's like, I don't even know what it's like to have a top 15 class. So we don't, we've had one top 20 class basically since we were 21. One. One. Yep. In, um, so, so let me, does it beg the question this? Um, uh, do we not do, do does the powers that be in Blacksburg know how to budget to get the program that literally makes kids enroll and literally guys we went to high school with, that's why they enrolled there is because of that program. Um do, do they know how to budget? No. <laughs> <laughs> wow. No. Um and you know, I don't think this is gonna be a shock to anyone listening but we haven't made football a priority from a financial investment perspective for a very long time and I think if we want to see in this new world of college football if we want to see substantive changing especially in terms of recruiting Two things need to happen. A top-down university focus on getting better on the field by investing and from a fan and alumni perspective, opening up your wallets. Yep. I mean, those two things have to happen. I'm not saying that good recruits are going to come just because the money's rolling in, but I'll tell you something, it'll certainly get better. Damn right. Because the more the more you can get on that recruiting staff, the more you can scout in advance, the more you can focus your efforts on the guys, the more you can sell the program in the light that you want to sell it. Yeah, it, it's gonna it's gonna reap some benefits, and that on top of that, facilities, man. Yeah, if the facilities improve, that that people talk about, you know, winning games is gonna solve problems. It solves some of the problems, but it doesn't solve all the problems because the perception is, is that the school with the shiny new object is better, especially if they're winning the same amount of games. If we were out there winning national championships every year, you might say, okay, well, maybe not, but we're not. We're out there winning eight to 10 games every year. And if if a kid can win eight to 10 games, in Blacksburg or went eight to 10 games in Gainesville with their damn pool and cabana outside their indoor <laughs> facility. Where do you think they're, they're going? They're going to, they going to Gainesville. <laughs> um, and, and you, you make the point of it, Brian, and, and you shot me this earlier today and it's, and then I, I then did math, which I don't know why I'm doing math. When, you know. <laughs> math but is you, fun. Math is fun. <laughs> but you shot me a thing today and basically you said this, and some angry emojis behind it. The football, the total football budget is 68% of the athletic budget at Virginia Tech. 68%. That's, first of all, that's probably like most programs, but I want to question it, Brian, because I did the math. Okay. Football only gets 53% of that. 50, they get a little over half of the pie that they're bringing in. That's bullshit. Yep. That's bullshit. If anything, they should at least be getting Sixty-five percent. That's my opinion. They should at least be getting sixty-five percent of what they bring in. Um, 
And and somebody's like, well, you know, that's only like two or three million bucks. You know what you can do with two or three million dollars? You can put an extra ten guys on the recruiting staff to be scouting the videos, to be making the contacts, just like all these big boy programs have. Not just big boy programs, UVA. Yeah. <laughs> Your second tier program. I mean, could you imagine that saying every year and and, and you were going a lot of it. To give the football program an extra $3 million a year, what could be done? Not only inside the operational stuff, but we talked about it um, a little earlier today. What else could we get with that $3 bucks? Hmm. I mean, you could get a lot of good things with $3 million, man. Um, you could get... I mean, you could probably start an investment on, a new, on some new facilities, some new uh, upgrades to Lane Stadium, for example. At least get yeah. Wi-Fi in that bad boy. Um, <laughs> That's the running joke amongst fans. Like, I don't got Wi-Fi in here. <laughs> I mean, so we're, we're talking about game day improvements. So, I mean, with with that extra money, you could at least improve the fan experience on game day. True. Um, I think improving fan experience would improve the willingness of them to also open their wallets. Yep. Um, both in increased ticket prices increased parking um, fees or just, you know, contributions to Hokie club. So, you know, all of these things play off of each other. It's nothing is happening in a vacuum here. And I feel like that's the way a lot of people look at these things is that, Oh, well, if you get a new coach, recruiting will get better. No, a lot of things have to happen for recruiting to get better at Virginia tech. And it's not just coaching. I mean, I think we can all agree that we would we, we think recruiting could be better under other coaching, but that's not saying that we need a coaching change because I don't think the on-field, we can get another coach right now where the on-field product will be as good as what we're experiencing. So there's a give and take there. Yep. Um, and then, you know, at this point, you've got to convince a – if you're talking about replacing a coach, you've got to convince any coach that they – like I said earlier, you've got to say – we expect you to be a top 15 program on the field. Probably you're not going to do any better than top 30 recruiting and you're going to get top 50 funds to do that. Absolutely. So there's a point of diminishing returns there for any coach, um, even if they can recruit their ass off. It, it's true, man. I mean, it's true. And then, I mean, some of the info that, you know, you, you shared with, you know, we shared together, we, like, believe it or not, guys, this was supposed to be what three days ago, Brian. This is like this was like twenty five minute episode. Nah, <laughs> some things ticked us off. And- we, we we started diving into the, the aspects of recruiting, and the further we dug, the further we were like, okay, let's have a conversation about some of this other dirty laundry while we're here well, because well, it's kind of it's it all because like we said, it all feeds off of each other. Well, well Brian, j- just just say it straight up what you told me. There's two programs that pay for themselves at the University of Virginia or Virginia Tech University. Yeah. Virginia Tech Polytechnical. They are the one the, we just discussed. Football, football and uh, men's basketball pretty much breaks even in the last several years. They've been in the black. That's it. Um, but more or less, they're a break even program. Um, <laughs> occasionally in the red, usually just over in the black. And, and that's most schools. There yeah. are your few that do have very strong women's you know certain women's programs you have some schools that probably are so strong in baseball they pay for themselves but at virginia tech it's two yeah and, and you start sitting here and and you know uh, oxvt um 
he, he sort of stole some of our thunder because he kind of released what me and you found. And it was just, and, and man, he got the heat that got on him in the last few days about what just a simple point out there is. And folks, we're not, this is not trying to be rude, not trying to be mean, but we're just seeing it as we see it. There's one program or one athletic program at Virginia Tech that is essentially, it's using 600, right? Is it 600 or 500 times its budget? 500% of its budget. 500%. That's nuts. That's nuts. Well, 500% of its revenue. That's it, 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 yeah, five percent revenue. That's yeah. nuts, and and you're sitting here, and it's just like, you know, it's the women's basketball program, and it's like, that's insane. Like, no, because as we and you kind of started diving, most of them, it's like, you know, it's a hundred percent to two hundred percent, and that's reasonable. There, you want those programs. A, it's something for kids to go do. It gives chance for kids to uh, potentially go to a university they always wanted to play at. But when you're talking four hundred. When you're talking about that few million dollars, me and you just discussed, there it is right there. It's yeah. right in one specific thing. And if you're sitting here as fans, you want to say, listen, I want to support the university as a whole. But you see that big $66,000 thing right there that is a freaking, as I stated when we were at there, it's one of the icons in this game over the last 30 years. That's what pays for things. And when you're saying, they are only getting that 53% of the pie and other people in other programs are getting so much. It fired you up. It fired me up. And guys, I mean, let's, let's go ahead and say it here. We, we don't want to cut the women's basketball program. We think, we think they are a necessary element of the university. Very important. Um, But what we're saying is that, if you're not making the money to justify the allocation of the resources, we need to at least look at how those resources are being spent and whether they could be spent better on the football program to make the pie bigger. Because what, we're, what we're talking about right now is that if the, and, and we, we look at Clemson and we look at, at, at UNC and some of the things that they've been doing and even UVA when they've invested in the football program, the pie got bigger. Yep. And when the pie gets bigger, everybody eats better. You're damn right. It, it's so true. And I, and you know, a lot of a lot of people talk about it. And I've tried to read some on what Sands thing is. The way I see that he thinks it is is he thinks an athletic budget. You should have a utopian athletic department. It is not possible at Virginia Tech. It's not. Is it possible at Texas or Texas A&M or some of those schools with $200 million revenues? Yes. We're not there yet. No. So if you're trying to... In, term, play, in terms of revenue, we're, hold on we're, 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 we're in a... We're, we're 15 million behind UVA. We're not in... But we're not in a terrible spot. We're yeah. in an okay spot. Yeah. The way I look at it and the way I've talked about it, Brian, is in the corporate world. And I know some people will say, well, athletics is different than the corporate world. No, it's really not. Um, company I work for, company you work for, and I won't mention the name, top 100 on Forbes. Very profitable company. As you know, Brian, there are different sectors of that company. And 
as you know, there are some sectors that get treated a lot better. They get a lot more tools. They get a lot more flexibility. And you know why usually they get that? Because they are the money makers. Damn right. And and it irritates some people that are in the lesser divisions. Like, what's well, not fair? They got upgrades in their systems. They got new laptops. Oh, they got new better works. It's like, yo, dude, you know why you got the raise last year? Because they fucking crushed it. And then people just kind of turn away and say, yeah, you're right. Because normally what happens, and we saw it at that level, was as that bigger division did better, what happened? We saw the effects of it, didn't we? Yeah. We saw the upgrades on the system. We got the laptops. We got more flexibility. And it was just kind of like, why can't someone as educated as the president of Virginia Tech University see that? And to me, it, it, it sort of is one of those things where, why don't you see this, man? Like, these Clemson is where we were 10 years ago. They have went through the roof because of how they budgeted. We have made marginal gains. Yeah. And, I mean, they they institutionally realigned saying we're going to make our football team good. Yeah. And that's what they did. They, they they ended up what? They cut, what, one or two sports at the time. Yeah. And they, they realigned the funding into facilities and recruiting. Yep, that they pulled from those those uh, other sports, and all of a sudden, you know, you get one ACC championship in there, and all of a sudden, you got a run going. Yes, you did. Now you've got people willing to open their wallets, damn, mm-hmm. and make the program go on its own. And now you've got what they what what uh, women's sports did they just add? Softball was that it? That they just added? I, I don't don't quote me on that, man. Yeah, um, but uh, I, I believe uh, softball is a sport that they that they just added. Um, so I mean, the football team has had enough success at this point where they they were able to carve out part of their budget for a, another sport in 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 less in in less than ten years without without lowering what they're doing investing in their football team. Nope, not at all. Um. So, yeah, I mean, let me tell you, if, if, if I was with Babcock, I would go around to, with the exception of men's basketball and with the exception of the football program, and I would look at everybody and say, we need to make a 10% cut to your operational expenses, figure it out. And if they say, well, why are we doing that? Because there's a program that's floated this whole entire department for the last close to 30 years and they're not getting what they need to keep up. We have the potential to be that top 15 program every year. We need some extra money. We need some more bodies. Well, let's talk about another part of it. Let's talk about, and and they've been doing pretty well with, um, with uh, enrollment, but you saw the enrollment boom after 1999. I mean, yes, you did. If enrollment's going up, that's that's more student activity fees that are contributing to some of these extracurricular yep. sports as well. So, again, it, you know, I'm, I'm going to mix metaphors here. You know, rising tide raises all raises all the boats here. Yes, sir, it um, does. So let's let's try to focus on what we can do to get those those funds in, and yeah, take a smaller percentage of the pie, but let's make the pie bigger so probably in about four to five years, you're probably at least back at your, your current operating budget, if not higher. 
But but to that point too, Brian, again, you're talking about raises all tides. If you start seeing the football program do what it did in those early 90s and have that upward trajectory, well, you talk about all these other sports. You know what? They know that's a good football program. They're in the ACC. Hey, I got a good softball program. I'll go play there. Yeah. So what you're doing is by supporting the football program, you're actually making other sports able to recruit better. It's not hard to figure that out. No. So I've got something in front of me that um, I know we've thrown back and forth, and I've already mentioned a little bit here, but it's the operating revenues and expenditures compared between Virginia Tech and UVA. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm gonna, right. I, 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 I glanced at it, and I know you looked at it harder. I don't like what I see, but you, you go ahead and break the bear of bad news to folks. Okay, so, so we eat their lunch in two categories. Football ticket sales and guarantees and media rights. We are $11 million ahead of them in football ticket sales and guarantees, and we are $7.5 million ahead of them in media rights. Um, they take us to school on pretty much every category, some of them more than others. Um, the two biggest areas that we fall behind on, um, where we're not really even in a comparable area, is contributions, which were $8 million behind them, and then the value of athletics-dedicated endowments. Um, so... What that says to me is that their alumni are doing better and not just giving, but giving across all sports and in terms of giving towards um, athletic specific things, whether it be um, facilities or other benefits for the athletic department. Thoughts? <laughs> um, well, first of all, I'm going to say this. Um they are significantly older of a university. That's not even a question. You have more legacies there, people that go there, those mom and dad went there, so on and so forth. So that helps. Um, but, you know, I think the other piece that you make a point of is the about the things across the board is you have people that specifically donate to certain programs like the baseball program. So somebody – you know, I think Zimmerman a few years ago, like a hundred thousand dollar check to the baseball program. Well, guess what happens when somebody of that stature with that amount of money writes that amount of money to a smaller program? Guess where that money goes back to? It goes back to the pie to be yep. divided up amongst the other programs or to go back to the football program or men's basketball program. And, and that's another thing. They have had some alumni. Um, why am I, why am I mind blanking the, the writer? Um, UVA grad. I'm blanking as well. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, folks, this is what happens when you do this. This, and we can take that out in post production, right? Yeah. Um, we will edit that one. <laughs> edit that out, Don't do it, man. Uh, why do I want to say? I feel like I'm Mitch Hedberg. I can edit the jokes. <laughs> why do I want to say it's it's John Grisham? Sure, go for it. We'll, 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 we'll like say that, and then I'll, I'll edit in something that sounds the, correct. <laughs> it's one of the big writers. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's accurate. No, it's not Grisham. Grisham's okay. an old Miss is a Mississippi State guy. Never mind. Was it? Hold on. 
Oh, gonna, it, do uh, not take this out because this is actually hilarious. Because, because <laughs> um, Baldacci was uh, VCU, right? It's one of the more the I think nineteen nineties big time writers. This is kind of funny. Uh, survey says. So you get your get your computer up and start searching this. Tagummit. Okay, it was Baldacci. He actually went to VCU and UVA. Okay, so David Baldacci. So it was. <laughs> he was one. He's a, a guy who's made so much money, and he loved the sports program. And guess what he did? He struck a bunch of big checks. Um, so, and that helps. I mean, there's no two ways about it. That is always going to help. Um, now, what I think that the athletic department needs to do is do realize that the Virginia Tech. A what two hundred fifty thousand living graduates? Me and you aren't one of them, um, but I mean, you just do the raw numbers. If two hundred fifty thousand people gave a million or gave a hundred bucks, it's twenty five yeah. million dollars. <laughs> that's not a lot of money. That's not. That's not even saying, you know, we don't we don't need people giving, you know, for you know giving you know thousands of dollars. If you had every alumni give a hundred dollars, and I know that's one of the, that's a utopian statement, so call me out on that if you want. But I'm not going to call you out on it because you know even if you know we're talking about the drive for twenty five and things like that. I mean, yeah, everyone can afford twenty five dollars out of their budget over the course of a year. I mean, it's you know what three, four or five cups cups of coffee from Starbucks, and you've you know contributed a quarter of what Curtis was just talking about. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, and I mean, yeah. I, I know, I know there are people that are strapped for cash and in, in living in poverty, but I don't think that's more than a very small percentage of alumni and fans. We're not talking about twenty percent of Virginia Tech fans are living in poverty or anything like that. So, it, so what that <laughs> says is, if you're the athletic department, again, it's got to be a mindset to change. And to your point how it's operating from the top down because if you really went hard after it that way and you recreated those resources you created those teams it probably could pick up quicker so yeah, yeah I, I've, I've read things that sans has written about football and i don't really <laughs> i don't know what he, he he expects some sort of proverbial bubble to burst in terms of media rights and football in the next five to 10 years that I just don't see happening. Um, he, he's trying to write some very off the wall statement that if he's right, he gets to jump up and down. And he, he, he wants wrong. to be the guy that's ahead of the curve when the bubble burst, but the bubble was said to, to be bursting 10 years ago and it hasn't. And it's said to be bursting in five years. I mean, everybody keeps saying, well, the bubble of football is going to burst and it just doesn't. Well, you know what? It probably has bursted in some way, but it's such a minute bus burst. Nobody can tell it. Like, yeah, it kind of burst a little bit, but yeah, you know, less people in the stands. Still 63,000 people here of 66. That's not much of a burst. And most of that has been transitioned into the media dollars. I mean, oh, it's gotcha. not like the, you know, the direct funding to the university has changed, but the indirect funding has went up significantly from money that's coming in for the ACC and from the uh, NCAA. Exactly. So you may make a point on that. Like you say, it's going to burst uh, about what four, 
four Black Fridays ago, that year where we were like six and like Frank's last year or the, the year before Frank retired, when we were six and six and they were like five and seven or whatever. That game was the Friday night game on ESPN. You know how many people it pulled on a Friday, Black Friday over Thanksgiving weekend with two teams, one struggle, one not making a bowl, one fighting for bowl eligibility. You know how many what people you watched that game? How many? 3.8 million people. There you go. There you go, right there. Yeah, that, 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 that's a supposedly dead rivalry in both teams at near rock bottom in exactly. terms of their program yeah. output. 100%. <laughs> well, Brian, this has been fun to do the budget, but we have one more piece of news. And, and I feel like we're going to probably go back and revisit this again. But uh, we, we, we got to commit. Yeah, we did. Transfer. <laughs> From Kansas. God, we love to go to Kansas and get commits and get transfer commits. Um, Kansas has done us better than Virginia of late. That's true. <laughs> I joke because I think the three kids from there are all from Texas, so kind of technically it's Texas. Uh, but Evan Fares, um, I know you looked at his tape a little bit. Uh, what are you feeling about this uh, 6'3 guy? So, yeah, big body wide receiver. Um, definitely think he's going to step in, and at least in terms of red zone, He's going to fill some of the hole that was created when uh, Damon Hazleton transferred to Missouri. So that's that's good. Um, you know, I, I like I like what I see on tape. He's got you know quick first step. He can get open. Um, he's you know had some injuries, so that's obviously um, a concern to Big look concern. at. But and I think he just kind of he's one of those that had had uh, injuries after having a good season, and then. I think health-wise got back to where he wanted to be, but based on some of the other recruits that came in there and things like that, yeah, just saw snap count go down and things like that. So we ended up being a beneficiary of, the, of that situation. I, like I said, I think from a red zone perspective, he's at least going to be a, a solid, um, solid player for us in 2020. Um, could be potentially more than that. Um, but definitely will, I think, take over um, what Hazleton did in the red zone. Um for us. So that, that's a good thing because some of the other guys we've been talking about had other skills, but the, the red zone uh, target was still something that we were a little concerned about. So I'm glad we went out and got a guy that could uh, take on that role. hundred percent. And if nothing else, it makes you feel better about the depth of the wide receiver position. One of the positions we were, were a little bit worried about, but having him come in, having some um, game experience. Yeah. The injuries are a concern because it was a sophomore year. It looks like, you know, he had like 20 plus receptions. was looking like one of those guys that was going to go up and then got banged twice. And then with less coming in some, uh, some changes in the recruiting and things like that. So, yeah. Um, feel good about it just because again, it's a, it's a body out there with, uh, along with, Trey, along with Tavion, um, Big Stone Gap, uh, makes you feel a little better about that room and all. Blackshear, Blackshear. Sorry, <laughs> I know he, I know he's not he's not camping with those boys, but uh, I got a feeling Blackshear is going to be be running the the slot a lot. So hopefully, uh, this is going to benefit us in the red zone. You know, get us being able to have two big red zone targets out there with uh, with Mitchell, and then um, obviously Evan Fares now coming in. So. I think that should be good for us from uh, inside the 20 perspective. 100%, man. All right, so what we're asking this week, guys, again, it's not a poll question. So what things would you like to see Virginia Tech do financially to be more competitive on the football field? I've told you mine. I'd like to see a 10% cut across every – a 10% um, expense cut 
off every sport but men's basketball and football. Let those funds funnel back into the football program for all sorts of things. Brian, what about you? You know, I, I think just from an alignment perspective, just putting the, a focus on on football, putting a larger piece of the pie. I'm not sure I, I would go as strong as a 10% cut across the board, but I would look at every department and I, I, would, I would say I'd look at every sport and say, where can we trim the fat and, and do it on a, uh, on a, on a per sport basis, just because I think some could find more fat to trim than others. Um, so I, I think that perspective might be better. And then again, reinvest that money into the, to either recruiting um, services or into improving the game B experience at lane. Absolutely. All right, folks. Well, that wraps up this episode of the boundary corner podcast. I am Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us out. Catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Subscribe to your favorite podcast or our podcast. And as always, let's go. Okies. Okay.